0: Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan.
1: Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where two friends and lifelong film fans sit down and talk about movies uh, for the first time. Oh, wait,
0: wait, wait, before, before we start, Mike, I, w- I want to tell you something. I wanna yeah. Th- before we start, listen, I, w- friend, I know this guy um, who's really interested, uh, he, he wants to murder his wife, uh-huh. um, and and he wasn't sure how to do it. So I said, well, why don't you wait until an old friend of yours from college ends up in the newspaper um, for developing a pathological fear. And then you can reconnect with him and then have your mistress make believe she's possessed by the ghost of her, um, her grandmother who was also suicidal and then make him think he's watching her commit suicide, but you really throw out the body of your wife and he won't be able to do anything and you'll get away with it. Scott. You know, what do you think of that? You think that'll work?
1: Yeah, for, so for those of you who haven't uh, picked up on that, uh, this week's choice is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, um, almost undoubtedly his masterpiece. If you don't agree that it's his best film, um, like me, you might have a sentimental attachment to a different Hitchcock film. My favorite uh, is Rear Window, uh, or you know, but it's unranked top five. I think for for any serious watcher of, of Alfred Hitchcock, that's the furthest out you could push it. Maybe unranked top three
0: yeah and and and, and uh, you know full disclosure i don't I don't uh, um, socialize with murderers. Obviously, I was talking about Gavin Elster's dastardly plot, which when you think about it for three seconds, is the most baroque, complicated way to kill your wife. I mean, Raymond Chandler said that the easiest murders to solve in real life are the ones that are totally you know worked out like an Agatha Christie novel, but the hardest ones are like crimes of passion. So I imagine that he'd figure this out in a second. But I say that only um teasingly with love because I think vertigo is his best movie. I think I think it's 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 in the it's in the top one, um, and I think that it's so great despite the fact that it's got when you when you take a step back it's got the most silly, crazy you know Dorothy Sayers cubed Agatha Christie uh, you know um, cubed plot but it doesn't work because it's so emotionally raw. That's right. I think that there's, uh,
1: I I can't believe I'm going to say this about a Hitchcock film, but there's something there actually is almost a light touch about vertigo compared to like North by Northwest. When I watch North by Northwest, as much as I love it, I see Alfred Hitchcock peeking at me um, all the time. The different elements of the movie, I think, are so based in the psychology of Jimmy Stewart, uh, Scotty, uh, that they work. In other words, I you get you get that the vertigo technique, the, the, um, the dolly zoom yeah. it, uh, is, is, a, is a technique, but it's so rooted in his experience of the world that it's different than even like the long cuts in rope which are yes. obviously some some kind of technical daredevil uh, stunt, you know, and, and that's what I mean by a light touch. Alfred Hitchcock obviously has uh, is shaping the movie uh, as he did and every single shot, um, you know, storyboarded, nothing left, nothing left to surprise, um, but uh, I, I don't feel it as much because I feel like it's coming out of the consciousness of, yeah. of one character.
0: Well, that's funny because consciousness is something I was going to talk about at the end when we do part three, but it's funny you said a light touch because... But as soon as you said light touch, my, I was like, what is he talking about? Light touch. Because North or Northwest is obviously a light touch. Um, you know, and, and, and when you watch North or Northwest, there's never a second where he wants you to forget you're watching a movie. Sure. I mean, that movie's all about what it's like to be Cary Grant, you know, to be in a movie adventure. So this one, I think when he does the Dolly thing, the Vertigo thing, then yes, then you know, oh, this is a famous quote unquote movie thing. But I think after that's over, it becomes a really interesting psychological portrait of a guy trying to hang on to his 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 means of coping with an irrational world and finding out that it doesn't work anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, I would point to um other things that really good directors do that Hitchcock doesn't normally do which is um use one specific location and i i don't i'm not talking about mount rushmore or something like for a climactic okay. scene i'm i'm talking about his use of the city of san francisco yes. um to to shape the movie um and and how uh and how wonderful that is yeah um so what so what, what were you your think? other takes my yeah. other
0: take my other my, i mean my quick take on watching it again for the podcast was you know how what a great portrait is of somebody, um, you know, in the beginning he's hanging on to the ledge of the uh, of the building when he watches the other cop die. And I think that it's the whole movie he's hanging on a ledge. It's him hanging on a ledge of his sanity, right? Because, you know, he's supposed to be like this this level-headed guy. That's why Jimmy Stewart plays him and not Cary Grant. Like, Cary Grant couldn't do this part. Right? No. So, um, uh, so Jimmy Stewart says, you know, when he meets Gavin Elster and he's like, what would you think, what would you say if I told you someone could be possessed by the dead? He's like, well, I'd say you see a psychiatrist. And uh, he says, do you want a drink? He's like, it's a little early in the day for me. And when he tries to overcome his fear of heights, remember and that with Barbara Bel and he's, he's on the, he's on the, I go up, I go down, I take a step up. He thinks everything can be, can be um, overcome with logic. But the one thing, of course, that is not that you realize as you get older, the one thing that you cannot beat with logic is love and your emotions. Yeah. and that's kind of what he learns. And at the end, he's logical again when he, when he spots the necklace, but I think it's a great portrait of that. How about you? What did you notice this time?
1: Yeah, um so what I thought about the movie was really it struck me as about the second best time travel movie. Um, that I could that I could think of, and I know that's a little bit outlandish. The first being uh, Primer. Primer, it's got yep, yeah, I
0: you could say Primer. A primer yeah. is the all-time
1: greatest the, time travel movie. The second, the second best movie about tra- time travel, in the sense that um, we always see uh, time travel movies use these special effects to prove to us um, that you can't change the past. You know, right. I, mo- the point of most time travel movies is the immutability of the past. Is even if I gave you a machine to go back and do it, you you just screw up in the exact same way because right. you're st- you're still you. Right. And so emotionally, that's, it's all based on his regret. That's what his vertigo is based on, which is if I were on that, if I were on that rooftop again, I wouldn't let that guy fall um, yeah. You know, if I were chasing her again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let her fall. And what's happening in this, in this movie is that a character does get exactly the second chance that everybody wants in every single time travel movie. But of course, it, it ends up exactly the same way. And I think because he does not become logical again at the end of the movie. In, in other words, he, yes, he, he gains... Um, he
0: solves the crime.
1: He gains what theorists would call his agency back when he spots <laughs> the necklace. He, be, he becomes a detective again. Yeah, that's what he, I mean. Right, where, where, where he hasn't been. Um, but he's, he's exactly the same kind of guy. And you're right. I can't imagine Cary Grant caring about anything as much as uh, uh, J- uh, Jimmy Stewart is able to portray a man caring what dress she's wearing.
0: Yes. you know. Yeah.
1: Well, that's my moment.
0: We're going to talk he, about that in part okay. two. But I was going to say also, it's funny we said about time travel movies is you know, because he doesn't get to change anything. It, you watch the same movie twice. Mm-hmm. Essentially right and the first time you don't know what's happening in the second half of the movie you do it's the same It's you know you, you get to like you get to like read the Sherlock Holmes story once not knowing anything And then you get to read the Sherlock Holmes story again knowing knowing the ending, but I think it's also great What you just brought up was that um, You know about living in the past. He says, you know, he has that line people say you, you know You can't live in the past mm-hmm. But guilt is an emotion that's rooted in the past and this is a movie about people that are profoundly guilty about what they've done. He's, he feels guilt about letting the guy die in the beginning. He feels guilt for letting what he wh- her commit suicide, so he thinks. She feels so guilty about what she does that she writes the letter to him to confess to everything. And it's about these people tormented by their past and, and, and guilt is an emotion that's all about the past. You feel bad for something you did, not for something you're going to do. Right, it's like it's like mistaking a photograph
1: of yourself from a year ago for your reflection in the mirror. You can't see an accurate <laughs> picture of yourself when you're when you're looking for feedback. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's great, that's great. And was isn't there something called like um you know we talked about primer like when you go back in time like you know the, the trope of you know Back to the Future movies and stuff yeah. you can't you can't mess with the space time continuum. The, What's the, that called? The, the Novikovian
1: self consistency principle, which states the, that the uh, essentially um, out of if if you think about the realm of all things that are possible as a logical set. Um, you know there are, there is the possible and the impossible. In other words, if I point a gun at you and I pull it, there's many different things that could happen. It could misfire. Right. I could shoot you. I could miss you. But uh, it's very unlikely that my bullet will suddenly turn into a parrot and fly okay. out of the nozzle again. And it says it says the same thing about time travel. There there's a logical set of actions and consequences, but none which result in you not traveling back in time uh, or or a, a version of the future which becomes your past that doesn't allow you to travel. Yes. Okay. There, it has to be there. All
0: right, cool. All right. That's a, that's a mouthful. I'm, I'm, I'm used
1: to, I'm used to people looking at me exactly that way. when. <laughs> All
0: right. I'll see you in part two. Okay. So welcome back to segment two, where we love to talk about our favorite moment or our favorite line. Tough, tough to do in Vertigo because, you know, talk about a movie where every frame tells. So we could almost pick these at random. I imagine, Mike, we could almost like just point to a spot on the DVD the way she points to the spots on the the tree trunk and say, you know, here's a good moment and here's another good moment. So you can go first, what's yours? Uh, Okay, so uh,
1: perversely, um, as many, though there are many good lines, good dramatic lines in this film, vertigo strikes me almost like a silent film in my brain at its best moments like I, sometimes when i even when i'm thinking about it now i have to remind myself that people actually talk in the movie because it works yeah. so brilliantly as a silent movie. so much of it is quiet and exact and and so here's my favorite part when it's quiet which is when he sneaks up on her and he watches her looking at the painting while she's doing the performance uh, yeah. of herself looking with at the flowers the on the bench for him because uh what makes, what makes the movie work, what makes it, you can walk in the part two of, of Mission Impossible. Like if, if someone started watching Mission Impossible, you could sneak in the theater and go, what happened? Yeah. And they could go, and, and by the time somebody was like, he's trying to blow things," right? You'd, you'd be able to pick it up. But what happens is in that, in that quiet sequence, in that montage, um, there's almost an iconography of the film that's established, which he thinks is a sort of reality. He thinks it's the ghost um, iconography. Yeah. It's her, come, he, she comes out every morning in the car She's wearing the same thing. She goes to the same flower shop. She goes to the same museum. And I I happen to think that the museum is the most most beautiful. It just, um, it strikes me uh, so beautifully the way that she's composed on the bench and composing herself as a model while he's painting himself a picture, which uh, matches the portrait that Mitch tries to paint from later. But um, I just think that that sequence works so brilliantly that devoid of that, you couldn't walk in the middle of, of, of Vertigo and say, uh, and and have your buddy fill you in because yeah. they couldn't they couldn't build up the visual iconography for you of that moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is Jimmy Stewart. There is like us. You know, he's like the viewer. He's hypnotized by an image. And it's an, he's hypnotized by an image that's so striking that he, he he I love that like you don't he doesn't know what to make of it because he's not he's not about to say to himself like oh I guess she really is possessed by Carlotta that's the mad Carlotta he's not about this he he's struggling with it and and I love that feeling when you go to the movies when you when you're watching a film and you go what the hell is going on like I remember being. Don't you remember being a kid the first time you saw the end of 2001 and like, we, which we have not talked about, which we should do in a future episode, but remember, and, and the first time you watch it, you're in the, they're in the room at the end and it ends with a giant baby and you're like, what the hell? Now I, now some people hate that feeling, right? Some people go, oh, that's, that's stupid. There are people that would hate that moment in vertigo, but I think that, that Hitchcock loves it. And I think it's his best expression of it. And so when Jimmy Stewart's looking at her, you know, we're looking at him, look at her. He doesn't know that it's a setup, but, a, but a movie is a setup. Right, That's what it is. A movie is a composition and it's a fake setup to make you hypnotized and to make you believe something that's not real is real. And so it's like a great meta moment. That's a great moment. And, and yeah,
1: it just doesn't get any better than that. And I mean, my, my thing, even if, even if it's not the most important thing, but I, I think I've said this a couple of times on the podcast is that what is it that this movie is doing that must be a movie? What what is happening? What can a film do that nothing else can do? What what makes it a film here versus a novel um, or a piece of music? Why couldn't you make an opera of Vertigo? And it's what it's the reason is because that that beautiful silent moment and what the things that are done with time to make you understand a a compression of time, a series of days, right? um, While that same uh, iconography is being built up in Jimmy Stewart and in us, it's it's something only a movie can do, and it's done so beautifully.
0: And it would be a great creative writing exercise. I think it would be futile, but it would be interesting to do. Imagine if you assigned a class of students and say, okay, I want you to watch this scene and your job is to write the inter- interior monologue of what what Scotty is thinking as he's watching her, <laughs> like you, there's no way you could do it. Like you, you'd be set it's, up to it's film. so it's
1: something it's something beyond language. Language is an unnecessary medium because we under we all understand, but we don't have to hear it that way.
0: Right. The best you could do is do a stupid joke, Jimmy Stewart thing, like I just did, like oh, that's right. cool. So that that's a great moment. Like mine was, and I was going to pick the kiss because I think this is I think this is and i will i will go toe to toe with anyone in this this is the best kiss in movie history when she walks out of that bathroom and at you know right right before he figures out you know the uh, the necklace and they spin around and he gets vertigo when he kisses her as the recreated um you know that that's i just think that's so moving because you feel so bad for both of them it's so emotional but i'm cheating that was really not my moment um my moment is when she's trying on the clothes and he gets more and more like a dictator. And uh, she says, um, you, know, you know, if I let you change me, will that do it? If I ever do what you tell me, will you love me? And he's like, yes, yes. And then she says, all right, then I'll do it. I don't care anymore about me. Now, the first thing is that reminded me of, if you know the story, Hills Like What Elephants, By Ernest Hemingway, right? You know, a story about, you know, about an abortion where the word abortion is never said. And, and she says that to him in the story. She said, I'll do it because I don't care about me. And that made me think about how, you know, their relationship at that point is a series of brutal negotiations where he gets more and more, you know, obsessed and she just keeps giving in because she feels terrible about what she did. She just, and she just wants to be loved for who she is. She wants to be loved to be Judy. She doesn't want to be loved as Madeline, right? And I think that the movie, as crazy as the plot is, deals in such universal things like, for instance, relationships can become series of negotiations. <laughs> also, um, you know, the, the feeling, can't you just love me for who I am? Um, the feeling of, wait a minute, I thought you loved me, now why do you want to change me? <laughs> right? And I think that's so universal that um, in the middle of this Baroque murder mystery that it just, it just, it strikes the viewer as a very raw thing when you watch it.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a certain way in which, um, there are certain movies that work by portraying uh, ordinary life in such quiet tones uh, that you find them familiar. And then there are movies like Vertigo, which work by creating um, essentially like an, an alien atmosphere yeah. of, of things that could of things that could never happen, but w- but with the exact same meanings. And then yeah. there's a lot of movies in between that don't show us anything that we recognize or, or anything that moves us. But in, in other words, I think that this movie has the emotional complexity of very simple, uh, very very quiet films yeah. um, about about love. But as you said, as you're saying, in a, in a totally tempestuous, outlandish. Uh, circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is deeply operatic in that way. Opera. I think opera works along the same lines. Um, yeah. But it's very. And I very think. No,
0: and I think b- before we run out of time in the segment, I think Notorious works the same way. It just occurred to me, right? Notorious has this outlandish plot about finding uranium in the champagne bottles, but it really and you know it really is about you know um, you know Gary uh, Cary Grant hating igrid bergman for like doing what she was supposed to do and and you know and uh i think that the the love aspect of the notorious is is spot on in human experience in the middle of this this crazy crazy spy spy story all right okay i'll see you in part three great Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing.
1: So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: Hi, welcome back. So we're in part three where we talk about the title and we talk about the ending or something that just just, uh, you know, left us with the overall thing of the movie. So I want to talk for a minute about her in in a a little bit about Kim Novak here, Mike, and I read this great quotation, and uh, Mike has not heard this yet. I'm just going to throw it at him. I want to see what you think about it, right? So Samuel Taylor said this, and I bring this up because I remember being a kid and being totally blown away by, this, by the answer that you get in the middle, right? We're used to getting the answer at the end, but here we get the answer in the middle, right? And and uh, something he said that, is, that his answer to people who were who were second-guessing the film and saying, oh, well, you know, um, you could tell right away that it's still Kim Novak. You can tell I knew it was her before the, before the big reveal, right? Here's what he said. Check this out. If we had a brilliant actress who really created two distinctly different people, it would not have been as good. She seemed so naive in the park, and that was good. She was always believable. There was no art about it, and that's why it works out very well. What do you make of that? Uh, th- that is a
1: deeply uh, backhanded compliment, but they're but they're but they're right. It's yeah. the, what, What's that's what's necessary for the role. It's like we we said um, somewhat the same thing about uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Sure. Uh, about you know playing the role of of the sister, uh, uh, JJ's sister, in, in, yeah. in the Sweet Smell of Success. Although uh, of course this role is much more is much more complicated. What I will say um, is that Kim Novak seems very believably upset. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's not like, it's not a, a lack of chops on her part. It's just, yeah. it's just an under, an understatement. You know, she's not a Charlize Theron, but she, right. you know, but she does in Monster, but she doesn't need to be.
0: Right. But that's the whole point. Like imagine a, a lesser director, because you could imagine somebody at a studio saying, well, let's get two different actresses to play the two different roles right or today you could have cgi or you said mission impossible like you know like a judy rips off the madeline face you know the the latex face but she's not like judy from um selena kansas is not supposed to be olivier or something like that She's just she got caught in this trap just the same way jimmy stewart did and she tries to make the best of it and she tries to quote act you know as best she can so i just thought that was a great great quote um, so, what was one of your big takeaways about the ending? Other than I love, here's my question for you. I love. What does he tell the cops? That's always an interesting thing. <laughs> what does he tell the cops at the end? Uh, well, what do you I, make of it?
1: Well, okay, if we if we walk through it, let's just walk through the end real quick. Sure. What happens is they're having their their confrontation. You you buy that Scotty is trying to get her to admit it, right. so that he can either get over it or not get over it. But his intention is for the two of them to walk down they're startled by a nun but what she sees is a female face coming at her yes. so she takes a step back and she falls and you, you you buy all that and that that that's that is the sequence of events as you experience them
0: uh, kind of I, I think the end is very very strange and ambiguous i think i think when the nun pushes she says i heard voices it, there's always a big delay there so some you know i could imagine thinking that does she does judy does she kill herself does she kind of like is it like manslaughter suicide so to speak I think it's a strange moment. I take, I take it that it's a misstep, it's a horrible thing. I think that him thinking that he's gonna bring her back up there and conquer his fear is kind of like Pop Freudian psychology. I don't know if that's, you know, I think it's kind of like, the, like um it's kind of like when people uh, talk about psycho, you know, they, and they sound like the psychiatrist at the end.
1: Okay. But, well, um, or like the psychiatrist in this in this
0: movie when yeah, exactly. telling Midge
1: exactly what's wrong with them.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think the ending is very, very strange and very, very ambiguous. What do you make yeah, of it?
1: I, I feel the same way about the entire character of Midge, I have I have to say. In other
0: words, I think that they're,
1: that this movie is brilliant. Um, but her uh her character and her performance is like a weird smear. It's an even deeper lay- layer of weirdness. I would rather hang out with Judy pretending to be Madeline for the rest of time than go to lunch with Midge. That's well, a we- first, a weird first well first
0: of all to character to hang out with Judy pretending to be Madeline like that's exactly that's not exactly a punishment.
1: Sure, but it, you know, I am Midge is okay in there because being,
0: yeah. yeah, but I think Midge is in there because she's the counterweight to 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 uh, Madeline and to uh, right because you know, he was engaged to Midge sure. and and she's the you know, she sits and designs bras but you know, uh, you know, Madeline actually wears them.
1: Yes, <laughs> uh, but it's—I uh, don't know. It's—I'm um, trying to—I'm bu- trying to sell myself that this is uh, Hitchcock's uh, best film because I've—I've, I've, you know, obviously I, we both love film. That's how we end up yeah. doing a podcast about it. I've heard this a million times, and I usually say either Notorious. Or rear window, and you know, get get into fun arguments about Hitchcock with it. And and sometimes, if I'm uh, being a jerk, I say Rebecca just to see what happens. Yeah, that is a jerky thing to say. And uh, but. I try to sell myself this as uh, this his best film. I certainly think it's, uh, it's a wonderful film. I think no other director could have gotten away with it. But what, what for you makes it his best film? Because there's so many weird things about it, including That's, Midge
0: and the ending. Yeah, okay. Well, th- well the ending, unfortunately, well, him, him staying there powerless. Or, so he's overcome his fear. But, but at what cost, right? He's there with his, literally with his arms open. Um, so there's all that. But I think that here's what, here's what occurred to me this time when I knew we were going to talk. I'm going to throw this at you. So I'm, I'm reading The Ambassadors by Henry James. You ever read The Ambassadors? Yes. Okay. And you might be like, what in the world is he talking about? Here's what, And here's what occurred to me. So reading The Ambassadors this week and watching Vertigo again, it, it reminded me of that, that what Henry James does in that novel and in a bunch of his novels is, you know, if you read The Ambassadors for the plot, there's no plot there. You hang yourself, as, you know, as Johnson said about Clarissa. But it, the, the greatness of the ambassadors and the greatness of Harry James, it puts you into the consciousness of another person and you get to go inside someone's brain. It's so funny. You said that earlier in the show today, because I think that all the scenes where he's on the Hills and watching her at the museum, like you really start to enter Scotty's consciousness. And then I think that the way you enter his consciousness is through a series of impressions. And that's what Henry James does in the ambassadors. It's all impressions. Like no one comes out and says, this, this is a good person. This is a bad person. He's lying. She's lying. It's all, it's all the impressions that the, that the protagonist has to kind of sift through. And that's what Jimmy Stewart does in the movie. He, he becomes a filter for all this data, all these impressions, and he tries to make sense of them. And I think that it's, his, it's Hitchcock's masterpiece because that to me is what it's like to be confronted with great art. It's too much, you have to kind of make sense of it. It's too much to take in the first time. It's like trying to read Moby Dick or Hamlet or The Ambassadors for the first time and thinking you got, like, it takes your life to read them. It takes your life to watch Vertigo, and it takes your life to actually think about, you know, love and relationships between human beings. Beautifully said. No,
1: it's, it's <laughs> uh, I, Okay, here's here's what I here's what I'm saying. I buy all that. I buy it at whatever you're selling it for. But my thing is, if I were gonna, if I gave somebody the DVD case of Rear Window, I wouldn't say anything. I just say, clear two hours of your day and watch it. If I gave them the DVD of Notorious. I'd say uh, just watch it. If I gave them Vertigo and they'd never seen Vertigo, what I would say is just trust me, just uh, h- just hang in there. No matter <laughs> no matter how really? weird it seems. Well, I I think uh, especially the character of Mitch how how slow burning this is, um how weird the opening is. What is it with Mitch? She's she's in it's, the movie it's, for it's 10 so minutes. Weird. No, I w- it, it's it's 10 minutes too long. I would I would have totally written her out. And it, like it's of course that's presumptuous, it's unbelievably presumptuous. I'm sure that um hitchcock knowing his art did, did things for whatever re- reason he did them you know them why for. she's in the
0: movie oh stupid stupid thing. you know why
1: she's in there she's... yeah 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 sure sure but i'm saying that there's um okay in rear window um the 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 character has his nurse um who comes who comes over who is who is that character yeah Um, and ma- and makes the whole thing run and right. so i know exactly what she's doing in the movie there's just so many good ways to do it and Midge is not. That is not a good way to do it. All that right, is let's a, talk weird, about, a weird way to do it.
0: We'll we'll do another episode just on your strange your strange Midge uh, obsession. Sure. I can't I can't believe of all the things to talk about in Vertigo, you you you're you're, you're spending airtime uh, on Midge. But let, let's,
1: because because everybody everybody's written twenty academic papers on why it's the best. It just struck me as it just strikes me as a weird thing in a really great movie. Okay, that's f- fair enough, fair enough. So It's like if there was a 13th Apostle, you know, in The Last Supper, and you were like, well, 90, 90% of this painting is a masterpiece, but what's going on over there? What, what, do,
0: you, what do you make of the
1: ending and the way the film ends? Uh, I find it deeply disconcerting. I still don't know what happens. Um, I don't know... If Judy was pushed or fell backwards, I yeah, neither do I. I don't. I don't know why the first time they go up there, they run into almost nobody, and the second time they run up there, there's was, a nun there. Like, right. how long has she been there? Yeah, you, it was like, has she been there since yeah.
0: 1850? Yeah. Um, when they throw off that, when they throw off Elster's wife, you wonder, like, like, did they just stay up there in the Belfry? Like, none of the cops said, "Hey, why don't we go look yeah. up there?" <laughs>
1: how did How did Judy How did Judy time it out to 7:06 before just after the top of the hour? But but somehow when he when uh, Scotty marches her up there, it's right. seven. 59 you know and there's a there's a none but but, none of
0: that matters because of the intensity when you see her feet getting pulled up the stairs and you and that's jimmy stewart like he's he's so good in that scene how furious he is like why did you pick on me why did you pick on me i mean that's like somebody talk about again somebody in the throes of a terrible relationship like why did you pick on me i
1: know he's um he's an unbelievable every man who also um has a has an extremely light touch you know, Jimmy, we make fun, we, you and I both make fun of Jimmy Stewart, yeah. but he can, he can really act and play such a wide, beautiful variety of roles, um, especially yeah. as, as such an, a lonely old man. Yes. I mean, could they, could they make him look more harmless? Yeah. I don't know. It, they obviously hadn't taped the first episode of Mr. Rogers before, I they, was, made, I, before they
0: made Vertigo, but, you know, they, obviously they shop at the same thrift store. I wrote down, it's so funny, when you, as soon as you started talking, I have my little notebook here and I just wrote down to Fred Rogers. He is Fred after, Rogers. After he gets her out of the bay and then you realize that he's already had to undress her and dress her and and, she's, and they're by the fireplace and he has this, like, his sweater on. You he, he wanted to say like, oh, you know, my grandfather has that same outfit. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know, he's like the kind old man. But you know why? And, and I could see somebody watching Vertigo and thinking that's a flaw, but it's not because Jimmy Stewart knows i'm sorry scotty ferguson knows that there's no way he'd have a chance with that woman she's she's out of his league she's way younger than him but then all of a sudden he does and he's kind of like oh wow like maybe i am worth something and at the end he's furious because it was all a setup he's like i knew it like why'd you pick on me
1: but she really was in love with him
0: she was and you know that
1: and you know that because she would she would have run away up you know and she, otherwise yep. and that's what and that's what she says and that's Be, why she
0: throws out the letter that's why she throws out the letter but the
1: slip with the necklace has we we might need an entire other episode to talk about uh, how how unbelievable it is that she couldn't possibly have known or remembered when uh, yeah. putting, putting the necklace on the ne- the <laughs> necklace says I, I know i ripped up my letter but i'm going to give it to you anyway
0: yeah, well, and I've and I've actually I've talked to people in the past who's like, well, she puts it on subconsciously to let him know. Like, people don't dress subconsciously. It's yeah. it's in there because it's a great it's a it's a great aha moment in the plot. It's an oh my moment, but but she's not trying to confess to him because she finally she thinks she's she thinks it's done. She thinks I'll, the movie's over. And that's I'll, why they, that's, they, they consummate their love after the big revolving kiss. You know, she's like, oh, you're going to, he's putting his tie on. Oh, you'll mess up my makeup. So she thinks the movie's over.
1: Well, I'll leave you with this, which is, uh, this is um, the the category in which I'm willing to admit that this is the greatest um, Hitchcock film. A lot of people talk about either The Birds or Psycho or Rebecca as the scariest Hitchcock films. Um, and I happen to think that one of the scariest movies made maybe before The Witch, which we also covered on our podcast, um, is The Ring. Um, and The Ring is scary for, a se- just follow me for a second. The, oh, no, yeah. the Ring is scary for a series of, of, of images, like an abstract film that have nothing to do with one another. Uh-huh. There is nothing in The Ring that can even touch whatever actress they cast to play real Carlotta In the montage during which Scotty goes insane. When you see that, when you see the actual woman step out of the portrait, whoever posed for that portrait, that is one of the scariest, almost still images I've ever seen on film. And every single time I watch that movie, I forget how scary it is. And then I see it, and it's like it literally is a jump scare for me. Yeah. This is the scariest Hitchcock film.
0: And I also think that's the best dream. (laughs) That's the best dream. And like, how good is Bernard Herrmann's music in that? Like everyone knows him for the psycho music, right? But that dun, 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 like that's so great during the dream. Even I don't know when you who get to like wispy hair. As I don't know. Everything.
1: I don't know who animated it, but um, yeah. that that like uh, with the bouquet, it's just it's great. Yeah. It's, it's great, really, and w- really whatever great. actress, um, she must be uncredited. I don't know who
0: that is. Terrifying face. Yeah. terrifying face. I, that, and that's that's a that's a that's a great point. All right, it was fun talking about Vertigo. Yeah. Well, uh, we should do this more often. We should. (laughs) Maybe we'll do it next week. (laughs) All right. Great. Thanks for for listening, everybody.
1: Take care.